0: joking with Corey Kirshner. I'm calling him Corey Spielberg. He's been uh, making this documentary movie for uh, the 70th anniversary talking about our church and he did all kinds of interviews and just telling the story of what God's done these last 70 years at our church and man it's exciting. It's so cool to see it and I want you guys to see it. We'll be playing it right after the dinner uh, on Sunday and so that is going to be a lot of a lot of fun. And so it'll just be a great thing to celebrate. Thank you, sir. All that God has done these many, many years at our church. And so that's really, really a neat thing. Um, tonight we're in this um, series. This is the third lesson in our series. And you see that it's called Confident in the Face of Hard." questions and when we think about hard questions we're not asking um do you want um uh chocolate sundae or a apple pie? Yeah. Who agrees that's a hard question but not the same kind of hard question. Yeah. You're like it's not that hard. It's just yes, that's it. Um yeah, both is fine, you know. Uh those are, those are not the kind of hard questions we're talking about. Tonight we're talking about kind of a very difficult question. And the question is this, and it kind of, it may come across as a downer from the beginning. But the question is this, why do we suffer? Why do people suffer? Have you ever, uh, Have you ever thought that? Have you ever seen, has this ever happened? Have you ever seen... People that are doing wrong, that are evil, that just do the wrong things and it seems like they're prospering. And then you see people who seem like they're doing really good and they have a lot of faith and they're, they're trying to do it all right and they're just going through all kinds of difficulty. How many of you have ever seen that before? Um, how many of you ever have ever heard someone say that the reason that they don't believe in God or that they left God or that they left church was because of something like that? Because they saw people suffering. They saw people hurting. And they said, you know, why? if there is a God, uh, why, why do good people suffer? And it's a hard question. Um, it's a hard question not because there's not an answer for it. It's a hard question because usually the people who are asking it are not asking it um, primarily from an intellectual perspective. They're usually asking the question from an experiential perspective, right? Um, there is an answer, and the answer makes a lot of sense. But when someone asks you that question, you don't, you don't want to just get right into a philosophical answer right away because a lot of times what they're dealing with is they've just lost someone that they love or they have someone that they know that's suffering or hurting. And so you have to be careful with how you answer that question. This particular question specifically may be the kind of question, um, in fact, I believe that it is, one of the first questions that God answered. You say, well, why do you say that, Pastor Ben? What do you mean this is one of the first questions that God answered? Well, that's because... um, Many scholars think, and I happen to agree with them, that the first book written historically was the book of Job. And the point of the book of Job really is about suffering. It's about what do you do with our pain? What do we do with our suffering? Genesis, which we start a series in our curriculum on Sunday in the Explore the Bible series that we do. We have in our Sunday school a nine-year plan to go through every book of the Bible We just finished on Sunday, we just finished the book of Mark. And isn't it cool to always study the resurrection, right? It's such a cool thing. We did that on Sunday. And so now we're walking into um, the book of Genesis, and we're actually going to be in the book of Genesis for six months. We're going to go for two quarters in in the book of Genesis. And from a chronological perspective of telling the story of how the world started, we all know that Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning... God created. The, you can't get much more to the beginning than that. and In fact, that particular verse goes into eternity past, doesn't it? Because God existed in the beginning, right? He, he didn't have a beginning. He is without beginning. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, uh, Christ was there present at the beginning. Um, he is before all things, Colossians says, and by him all things consist. So, talking about Jesus. And so... The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. The whole trinity was involved in creation. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. So you have the us and the he. All three persons of the Godhead, one God created the world. But before that book was even written, some scholars say Job was written, right? And Job... Just to kind of, and you guys may have already read this before. I hope you have. But if you haven't, I want you to go to Job chapter 1. That's not going to be our main text tonight. But in Job chapter 1, and I'm going to kind of just scan here um, and attempt to use the scripture to tell you what kind of happens here. It says in Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Um, was Job a sinner? Was Job, was Job a sinner? Yeah. yeah, Job was a sinner. This particular verse isn't saying something about theologically about him being perfect in the sense that he never did anything wrong. But he was an upright man. He was a man of faith. He believed in God. God, God had apparently uh, uh, called him, in fact, it does here, uh, perfect, upright. He feared God. It says that he's a rich guy. There were born unto him seven sons, three daughters. His substance also is 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Um, even in our day, to have that many uh, livestock would make you a pretty wealthy person. Has anybody bought a burger lately? <laughs> yeah, that's just a little bit of a cow. Did you know that? <laughs> you know, so to have he, he, this is a guy who has a lot of stuff, a lot of money, a large family, and uh, before a social safety net, to have a big family was a good deal for someone as they got older, because uh, you put your kids to work. Amen. Right, that's what he did. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. That word feast, feasting, um, in the English at least, is of the same place where we get festival, right? And so in the ancient world and even today, along with eating comes partying, and along with partying comes all kinds of other particular things. And so. Job, it says, um, verse five, and it was so when their days of their feasting were gone about that Job sinned and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You know what that means? Basically it means this, just in case my kids did something wrong, I'm gonna do what I can. Now that doesn't make for exactly the greatest, I mean, we can't, ask for forgiveness on behalf of other people. But you got to remember, this is before there was any revelation in terms of written down Bible revelation. And so this is just a man that knew enough about God. How do we know about God? I don't know exactly, except that God had revealed himself to creation and at some level had revealed himself supernaturally. And so, was Job a good guy? He was. Now we go into this really interesting narrative about what happens between Satan and God. Look at verse six. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them and the Lord said unto Satan, wait a minute, who said it? The Lord, who brings up Job? The subject of Job, the Lord brings him up. Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered and said, and from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and saith, Doth Job fear God for naught? Of course, Job fears you. Of course, there's not no reason that Job loves you and Job fears you. What's Satan's argument? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? You know, I, I that may be where we get the idea of. Everybody, ever, anybody here ever hear somebody pray, "God, I pray that there be a hedge of protection around somebody." Anybody ever hear that? And I always used to think as a kid, like, is that like bushes? You know, it's just an expression. God, the, it isn't just hedges and the starts. Bushes, it's talking about, you know, you protect him. You, you keep him from, from having anything bad happen to him. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his subject, and his substance is increased in the land. I got an assertion for you, God, right? Put forth on hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth on hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We can learn something about Satan here. Um, Satan can't get at God, really, um, at all. I mean, not not really, he can't. He can't get at God. And so what does Satan want to do? He, he wants to still kill and destroy, the Bible says. Um, he wants to get at us. Interestingly, he can't get, at us, unless God allows them. Anybody, God, for that? That's a good thing. But that's what's happening here. And so God says, okay, I'll let you. Just don't, don't kill him. Verse 13. So this is like this incredible. Verse 13 down to the end of the chapter is just brutal. What happens to him? We're in this lesson on suffering, and here is um, at least a glimpse, not all the suffering that he's going to go through, but a big part of it. There was a day when his sons and the stars were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger, messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking. Now that's not the only time it says that. In verse 16 it says, while he was yet speaking. Verse 17, while he was yet, you see that? Speaking, verse 18, while he was yet speaking. Um, four times right there. Boom, 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 boom. The equivalent of it for us would be like, um, your bank account's been wiped out, you know. Your your IRA, your 401k, it's been wiped out. Someone just stole all your cars, right? Like, it's just like your wealth is just getting eat up. Boom, boom, boom. He talks about in verse, um, let's go with it, verse 14. What was taken, the oxen and the asses. Verse 15, sorry, verse 16. Fire fallen from the earth burned up all your sheep and the servants consumed. By the way, whenever you see in the Bible servants and masters, it doesn't always mean there there is, a, there is an ownership aspect to it and God does not condone slavery. He's just telling you that that's what happened, okay? Not, God does not condone it. But it's not always exactly the same as the slavery that happened in our country, which was, was uh, the chattel slavery. Often people that were enslaved to masters did that for a time so that they could pay off their own debts. I'm not saying it's always good. It's, it's not good. But there was a part of that that would go on. And the point I'm trying to make, the reason I bring that up, is because uh, a lot of times those relationships in the Old Testament especially would look a lot like how it would look with bosses and employees today. And so um, not exactly the same, not equivalent. I'm not making an excuse for anything. I'm just telling you that Job probably had a relationship. In fact, he did have a relationship and a love for the people, the servants that were taking care of him. Um, Anybody ever have a boss you loved or an employee that you loved, you cared about him? So he's not only losing his stuff, he's losing people he's cared about in all of these different this, these different arenas. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came down another, said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried thee away and slain the search to the edge of the sword, and I'm alone and escaped to tell thee. While he's yet speaking, there came another saying, Thy sons and thy daughters, man, this is brutal. Not just one son or daughter, all your kids were in one house, right? Eating and drinking wine of their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now imagine having, I don't know how quickly this happened. It seems like it's like boom, 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 boom. Who agrees with reading it while he's yet speaking, while he's yet speaking? Like within the course of 20, 30 minutes, he's lost a huge part of his wealth. He's lost at least all his sons. Did it say his daughters, too? They included, I mean, either way. I I know my mom died early, and you guys have heard that story. I'm not trying to belabor that. Um, I've been around people that lost their kids, and it's just so unnatural. It is so unnatural. Anybody been around people that lost their children, that buried their own children? And that's just like, it's awful. It's awful. It That's a pain that you take to the grave. And so now let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What would your emotion be potentially? What are some of the emotions that you would have if you were, if you could even think a little bit to put yourself in the place that Job was in and you lose basically a huge part of your investment, a huge part of your, your wealth, you lose a bunch of your servants, your friends, then you lose all your kids within like an hour or two. By the way, who's doing that? Satan. But do you know that? Does Job know that? We have no indication that Job knows that. What are the potential emotions you're feeling? What are some of the questions that are coming up? Who thinks the question why? What are some of the potential answers that you might come up with to the question why? Was it me? Did I do something? Who thinks that could be a question? Who agrees? Okay. What else? You ask why. Why did I do something? What else? Huh? Who think Doran said anger? Who thinks maybe anger might be an emotion? Resentment to who? Could there be maybe some blaming of kids? Guilt. In that situation, I'm thinking, you know. Maybe he's blaming, it. what are my kids doing? Maybe God's, maybe I didn't raise my kids while they're drinking and eating. Are, do you get me? What else? <laughs> yeah. Who'd be upset with, uh, yeah, what what Gentry said was, I'd be questioning my relationship with the Sabians, the Chaldeans, the, uh, yeah. Does anybody, I know this is hard to say out loud, nobody wants to give this answer because we're in church. The first one was, why me? Then we thought, maybe the, maybe my kids did something. Man, I definitely don't like the Chaldeans. I definitely don't like the Sabeans. Why God? Who thinks that that's a potential question? Why, God? But look at Job's reaction. This is so interesting. Verse, you guys know this. Verse twenty. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down on the ground and worshipped. This is a uh, ancient Near Eastern expression of devastation. He, he takes his robe and he just rips it off. And he goes and lays in ashes and heaps ashes on his head. That doesn't sound like someone who's happy, right? <laughs> right. And then it says he, he, he gets on the ground, but then it says this really strange verse 20, and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. What, what, is he, what, is he, what does that mean? I didn't come with any possession. I'm not going to leave, apparently, with any possession. And he says this, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Now, there's a whole lot more. That's definitely the most famous chapter of the book of Job. And man, doing that first chapter, uh, it'll preach because it, you have this moment where you go, We, we got to just trust God because we don't understand why we suffer. Job didn't understand. But he had faith in God. He had great trust in God. But you know what? The rest of the book of Job is Job struggling with what happened to him. And just because that preaches well, just because at that point he made some good decisions, doesn't mean that he didn't deal with suffering. It doesn't mean that he didn't struggle with what he, what he was dealing with. Um. One of the things that I dealt with early on in my life is, and I, ha- I hate to belabor the point, it's just a very useful thing when we're talking about, my experience is the only experience I have, right? <laughs> I've had other people's experiences. So I know it gets old maybe to hear about, oh, Ben's mom died, Ben's mom died. I'm not trying to bring it up all the time. But I, I remember as a young man, thinking through and processing as I grew my teen years what had happened with my mom being in a wheelchair from the time I'm two, not being able to walk, having cancer twice, and then dying when I'm nine years old. And some of that process was that God, um, a year later we get a new mom. And, and I go from a mom that can't drive to a mom that came in a sports car. That was awesome, right? But it was hard to lose my mom. But in that process, I saw God use my mom and grow my dad. and I didn't even know how to exp- express that really totally. At 10 years old, I, I couldn't articulate it like I do now. I didn't I look back now and think through that. But um, there were some really good things that happened. In that time, in all of the bad that happened, does that make sense? So my dad goes into a church where twenty people vote on him, and um, you know that sometimes people in churches don't get along? You ever hear that? And uh, this church was a church that the church that he took had a history up until that point of having some contention, some struggles, some not trusting pastors and some of those kinds of things and um my dad and i have talked since then that like god uh sometimes god uses suffering as a platform and what i mean by that is that people people who are going through difficulty and trusting god in it will gain the respect and gain a hearing in people's lives that they wouldn't otherwise my mom had people listen to her from her wheelchair that people that aren't struggling with that would not have listened to that same person, right? She could give the same message to somebody and they, out of an affection for them or whatever, they would give her a hearing that they wouldn't give otherwise. And in that little church, there were, I think, some people that my dad said there may have been times where they would have maybe fought the pastor or not given, not wanted to follow him, but... They watched him walk through a very difficult thing and be honorable and it led to a unity in the church. And the reason I bring that up, here's another example. My mom got to lead some of the nurses to the Lord while she was in her deathbed. My aunt and uh, my aunt got saved, or at least made a profession of faith at my mom's funeral. And great things. But here's what I kind of wrestled with. There is a a way of thinking that says, oh, then we know why your mom died. We know why your mom went through all that because look at all the good things that happened. And the truth of the matter is, I have no idea why my mom died. I can't say my mom died at 30 years old because... My aunt needed to get saved. Those nurses, you know, all, I'm not God. Does that make sense? And that's just a silly, not silly illustration. It's, it's an illustration to say, and this is really kind of the point of Job, and I'm way off my outline. But, but my point is this side of heaven and maybe on the other side of heaven, there's going to be things that happen in our life that we have no idea why they happen. We, we may not know why things are going on. I walked into a room last night and was faced with some questions and I'm not making myself the victim. It's just a, it was a heavy situation and I'm going, God, this does not make any sense to me. But God's got a reason and we can trust him. God has a reason we can trust him. So let, let me get to my outline. Probably safe to do that. We may not know why we experienced suffering. We can say this was an outcome that happened through the suffering, right? Who led, who saved my aunt? God did that. And did God use my mom and dad? Absolutely. But I can't say that's why it happened. I can say that's what happened in that circumstance, but I can't say that's exactly why. We may not know why we experience suffering, but there are specific truths we must recognize when we are suffering to help us endure it, to help us endure it. Here's some truths that you got to cling on to when you're going through suffering. Okay, number one, yeah, we all we all experience suffering. Job says in 30, in Job 30, 26, When I looked for good, then evil came unto me, and when I waited for light, there came dark. Darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of my affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me. My bones are burnt with heat. My harp also is turned to mourning, and my organ under the voice of them that weep. Uh, Job is a poetry. And so much of it, and this is part of a, a poem. Um, when he says here, I waited for light, there came darkness. Light here represents God's blessing in life, while darkness is seen as a curse in the absence of God. Thus Job likened his death to darkness. Are my days few? Cease then and let me alone, that I may t- take comfort a little before I go, whence I shall not return. This is what he says in Job 10:20. He talks about in verse 27, having no rest. Um, in verse 28, he says he cries to the congregation. He, he's had this discussion with three friends that had not helped him at all. Um, his friends, if you go back and read Job, the book of Job, he has three friends that come with him. And they, you know, they do an actually a fabulous job with Job when they keep their mouth shut. When they just sat with Job in his misery, they were great friends. Then they started talking. And there's a there there, there's a there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there. Um, I think that's why God says don't have many teachers because you're going to give a stricter judgment, right? We're going to give accountability for what we say. Um, he says here in verse 29, I'm a brother to dragons. Job's main point in this verse is that his situations with uh, sim- sim- similarity to some wild animals that lived in solitary lives, often in the desert. Um, he's saying basically the wildlife is is all I have. Verse 30 talking about skin black upon me means to be dim or dark in color. It it also can be used to the dusky light that occurs right as the day dawns. In Job's case here, he apparently is referring to the condition of his skin. It it Darkened and flanked or peeled off. While the exact nature and details of this medical condition are unknown, the peeling off of his skin served to uh, add to his affliction. At some point, he's literally taking pots and scraping his skin. It was awful. And in verse 31, when he says, um, my harp also is turning into mourning and my organ to the voice of them that weep, he's, he's talking about his, his, his voice. Does this sound like a guy who's having a good time? He is struggling. And the truth is that all of us at some level will have varying levels of suffering. But number two, here's the second point, we can trust God in our suffering. Job forty-two one through three says this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, "I know that Thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from Thee. You know what he, you know what he's saying. You know exactly what I'm thinking. Um, you know everything. God's omniscient, isn't He? He knows everything. He knows what I'm thinking. He says in verse three, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here he's talking to Yahweh God. He's talking to to God. And he's telling God that he knows that God knows everything. The Hebrew term for know can refer to perceiving something, discernment, learning something, and to know through experience. It can also mean to confess. It probably carries multiple meanings in this particular case. Through his interaction with God, Job now understood God can do whatever he pleases. He had asked God, why is this happening? And God had before chapter 42, basically said to Job, "Who? where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I stretched my hand out across the sky? And he uses this very poetic language to say, you're not God, I'm God. And 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 Job essentially says, wow, I, I spoke too soon. I questioned too soon. God is not, in verse two where it says, that no thought can be withholded from him. God is the omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign of his creation. He knows the end from the beginning. Nothing can be hidden from him. Job's words here are very close to God's first challenge of Job at the beginning of their conversation back in thirty-eight, chapter 38-2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He says, Job, stand up like a man and take. I, I'm going to ask you some questions now. And that's what he does. And so Job says I what I uttered was what I did not even understand. Job acknowledges that in questioning God he had spoken about things that were beyond his comprehension. When he says that there there are things that were too wonderful for him, for him, things that he knew not. That word wonderful means one's own power to comprehend. It can also refer to acts of God re- regarding both judgment and redemption. God's actions are wondrous both in the grace he extends in redeeming people and in his perfect justice and righteousness when he declares his judgment on the wicked. When, when Job expresses to God, I, don't, I can't, I don't understand what you're doing, that is a great admission. And the reason it's a great admission is because we can't can't think of God like we think of other people. When other people do things within part of what we have to calculate as far as why they do something, it includes sin. Does that make sense? So when people do things and it seems off, sometimes they're not wrong. Have you ever had somebody act weird and then you find out later why they're acting weird and you're like, well, I would have acted weird in that situation too, and they were exactly right. How many of you guys have ever had that happen? How many of you guys have ever had people that were acting weird, but you're like, oh, nothing's wrong, and then later on you find out they're stabbing you in the back, right? With God, when something happens that's wrong, what we know about God is this, he doesn't sin, he doesn't do wrong. He loves us with a perfect love. Does that make sense? And so we can't, we can ask God questions, but it's probably not healthy to question God in the sense that to try to accuse of him of something that we know he cannot do. And when God when, when suffering happens, there is a reason for it, and we ought to be able, and we know we can trust God. I want you to go real quick, if you have your, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Romans chapter number 8, Romans 8. You ever print out your notes and then miss them. That's what I did. Romans chapter 8. Here's a couple of things we can trust God in. Number 1, we can trust that God is good. We can trust that God is good. This is what I mean. When I say good, I mean he is nothing but good. He's nothing but good. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God predestined that those who believe would be justified and called and glorified. Go back to the last verse for me real quick. When he says, that we're all called according to God's purpose, God's purpose was predestined. That those who believe in him, not the people were predestined, the purpose was predestined. What was the predestined purpose for redeeming fallen people to himself? That they might be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to make you like Jesus. And part of how he makes us like Jesus is by allowing suffering in our lives. And so what's god's what is God's will for your life? I don't know why my mom died. I can't say for sure why she died, except that I can say that at least part of the reason she died is to conform her to the image of His son and to help us as who are also going through those difficulties, conform us to make us more like Jesus. Does that make sense? why How can I say that? Because the Bible because God said that, right? Then verse thirty, moreover, whom he did predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So what can I trust when I'm going through suffering? Number one, I can trust that God's good. Number two, next one. I can trust that God is for us. Same passage, look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, here's what you got to, you can't doubt this. Is God for you? God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? When you go through suffering and you're tempted to doubt in that suffering, you have to remember Jesus Christ suffered too. And he didn't have to. Why did he suffer? He suffered so that we might become the firstborn. That he might become the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was not spared by his father. He was delivered up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies us. So God can be trusted. God is good. We can trust him because he's for us. Last one. We can trust God. Last one. Next one. Because he's with us. We can trust that God is good. We can trust that God is for us. And we can trust that God is with us. Next verse, verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, this is so good. These are all the things that could make you suffer. (laughs) I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did God ever stop loving Job? Did Job ever feel like God may have stopped loving him? Those two things can happen at the same time. Did Job suffer? And did God allow that suffering? Does that mean that God did not love Job? No, it does not. Here's the last one, and this is important. Number three, we can experience God in our suffering. We all experience God, we all experience suffering. We can trust God in our suffering and we experience God. We can experience God in our, in our suffering. Back to Job verse, chapter 42, verse four. Here I beseech thee and I will speak and I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. This is Job talking to God, verse two. But now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. There was a kind of knowing God that Job only could experience by going through the difficulty that he went through. And I can't quote the poem, but, but it is said that, I'll mess this up. Such a good quote and the idea is true it's not scripture but it but it makes sense god rarely uses someone that he doesn't break before he uses them that's a bad way of saying it but if you even look at the bible so many of the people that god used endured something they they went through something difficult God didn't anoint David and make him the king the next day. Have you noticed that about the series we've been studying on Sunday night? There was a long way from the shepherd boy to crowning him king, right? Spiritual growth is often a process and there's a kind of learning, there's a kind of discipleship that can only come through difficulty. Um anybody ever lift weights? Um. if you went in and, and you hardly ever lifted anything heavy, would you get stronger? It's the weight that makes you stronger. The weight that you push, not the weight that you have. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the tearing of the muscle and the healing of that muscle that makes the muscle, this is what I'm told, I have no idea how this works right? It's the struggle that makes things better. And when astronauts spend months in space, they want to get them back quickly because what happens? The muscles can atrophy. Why? There's no gravity. There's no gravity. So sometimes the suffering is what God allows to make us who he wants us to become. And in making us what he wants us to become, then he uses us. And that's why so many people, that's why so many people who struggle and suffer in one area end up having a ministry in another season of life about that same area. Who's giving everybody financial advice? The guy who went broke from being a millionaire, Dave Ramsey. Right? Right? Who's the Who's the people sometimes that are most helping other marriages? It's something, it's people that struggled in their marriage that then God worked in and grew and now their their mess becomes a ministry because God brought them through and because there was a there was a kind like it's one thing to know what the Bible says about marriage it's another thing to violate what God says about marriage and then to obey it and realize that's so much better and man I got to help people that. Don't realize that I got to help. And there's a passion about that thing because you've gone through it in a difficult season. Does that make sense? And so there's a kind of experiencing God in difficulty. Now, I'm not getting in line in this, hey, where's the suffering line? I want to get in that line. Who votes for it? I don't vote for it. And and it's so hard sometimes. There was a lady, what time was it? There was a lady in my last church, no, at Sunshine, two churches ago. And um, I went to the hospital and she looked awful. I mean, her situation, her circumstance had gone from really bad to even worse to like, okay, now it's, it's done. And so I rem- I'm young, I'm in my 20s, and I remember praying. Yeah, and I I didn't pray it on, I didn't pray it callously or casually, I said, but my prayer basically in the hospital was God, we know you can heal her, but God, we also know that you may want to heal her just by taking her to heaven and we just got to be okay with that. And yeah, heal her, but we know you're probably not going to heal her. I didn't say that, but that was like, that was what I'm thinking because she's like that close to death. And then like, that Sunday, she's in church, and she's fine. And God answered my prayer despite my faith, not because of. He may not even have been somebody else was praying. I'm probably, you know what I mean. Like, it wasn't my prayer. I'm telling you. So I'm not saying that. There is, should we pray for healing? Absolutely. Can God heal? Can God do miracles? We would be faithless not, why would we even do the prayer list next if we didn't think that God could kneel heal people and get them out of suffering? And certainly, raise your hand if some of the suffering you endure is self-inflicted. Man, I got, a, I got some degrees in stupidity, man. And suffering because of the difficulty that I do. So it's certainly not wrong to ask God to heal and to to rule and overrule. It It is not probably wise to like do a bunch of dumb stuff and then ask God to bless you anyway. Don't do the dumb stuff, right? Don't go party all week long and never study for the test and ask God to help you with the test on Monday morning. Study for the test, you know, save for retirement. Don't spend more than you make. Right? This is basic stuff, right? But sometimes when you're suffering, realize that God allows that suffering in our lives because He's wanting to, He's got a purpose and a plan, and we may, this side of heaven and maybe on that side of heaven, we may never know it. But He's good. He's good. He's good. And you can trust him. You can trust him. Nothing can separate you from his love. He who spared not his only son, will he not also freely give us all good things? And for the believer, for the believer, when we get sick and we're suffering, we're gonna get healed either way. We are. We can trust him. And we can even experience him in the suffering. There's a guy named John Piper. I'm not a big fan of all of his theology. But where we agree, I really like him. And uh, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. It's actually a pretty good book. Don't Waste Your Life. It was a, a book that was based on a sermon that was given to a bunch of college students and said, don't make the purpose of your life to end up in Florida and collecting shells shells. If that's the whole point of your life, you're wasting your life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. A few years later, he wrote another book because he experienced cancer. And he, and that book and that sermon that he wrote was, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And what he was saying is there's a kind of growth, Romans 8, 28 to 30. There's a kind of there's a kind of experiencing and finding even pleasure in God that can only happen when we get difficulty. And when God allows difficulty in our life, he allows it for a reason. He has something he wants to teach us. He has some way that he's trying to conform us to the image of his son. So don't waste that experience. If you're experiencing suffering, trust that God's got, a, he's got something he wants you to learn. And if he wants you to learn it, you can learn it. <laughs> you can learn it. Don't waste the suffering. Would you bow your to close your eyes on me? God, I love you.